Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, October 25th, reviewing Notre Dame versus USC. The Irish win their fourth straight over USC in the eighth out of 11 under Brian Kelly by a 31 to 16 score. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. We just came from Brian Kelly's uh, Monday press conference. And the bad news is, although none of us are really shocked, Kyle Hamilton will not be playing this weekend when they take on North Carolina. That's, I mean, it's a significant blow. I mean, you look at, in some ways, I, I have a better appreciation for what they were able to accomplish without Hamilton last week. When you look at 40% of DJ Brown's snaps on the season were Saturday night. 40% of Ramon Henderson's snaps on the season were Saturday night. And 25% of Tariq Bracey's snaps on the season were on Saturday night. So they were able to make the best of a really bad situation. But I mean, it does, it's one of the, like, who would we say is the most indefensible player on Notre Dame's entire roster before the season? Kyle Hamilton, that is still true today. Um, it certainly makes, uh, it, it makes me feel like I have a greater appreciation for what they did on Saturday. It also makes me feel like the rest of the season is a l- little bit more ominous than uh, I would have otherwise thought. And Pete, I don't think it's that it's more true today. I think that it's even more true today, right? I mean, when we write yeah. these things in the preseason, you're like, well, he's the best player. They don't have a backup. He does so many things. He's the most indispensable. Clearly watching him play and what he does for them uh, hammers that point home. It's, yeah, Brown is a fundamentally smart player. And I think that's why he was always challenging to take that spot from Houston Griffith, right? And, and I'm almost surprised he didn't totally take the spot from Griffith. And there's just not, neither one of them are anything. They're the antithesis of Kyle Hamilton out there running around there in terms of athleticism and playmaking ability. But at least, you know, Brown will be in the right spot. Well, he picked a good time to play one of his better games, as did Tariq Bracey at the nickel, because he's going to have to cover Josh Downs, who's a big play receiver as well. The timing, you know, couldn't be worse with Kyle Hamilton, considering the opponent. Brian Kelly mentioned that, uh, that uh, Isaiah Pryor, who he had said last week would not be playing or, or after the game on Saturday would not be playing a whole lot of safety per se, as he did temporarily against USC is now probably going to have to play safety. Yeah. And yeah. Houston Griffith is not playing his best football, but ready or not, here comes uh, North Carolina, but you know, we'll, we'll get into more of that as, as we move along here this week and on in the Thursday's podcast, when we talk about uh, more about North Carolina, the matchup with North Carolina, but Notre Dame, a 31 to 16 winner. Um, it could have been more. They left points on the field, which has been pretty much been the story all year. They could have scored late, I would imagine, make it 38 to 16 and make it a little bit better. But all things considered, uh, the offensive and defensive performance combined, when you consider that um, USC scored just 16 points, which is 16 points under their scoring average, it was Nordame's most complete game of the year, or at least most complete since Florida state no, most complete because defensively they were better and, and held the points down, whereas they didn't against Florida state. And I, while I think they would have scored that last touchdown had lug, not jumped or had not yes. had the false start where he just kind of Kelly gave Kelly a moment to say, ah, stop it right there. I do wonder in the back of Brian Kelly's mind, if he's finally repaid his debt to Steve Sarkeesian from seven years ago, when Sarkeesian could have scored 867 points against him in the Coliseum and left it at 49. Brian, you've paid your debt. He can go ahead and score on USC now. But 
they uh, I do I do think he would have he would have hammered it in if they had well and I think it gone, so. yeah it's it, 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 sportsmanship used to be a word that yeah. was applicable but I mean uh, to to college sports or sports <laughs> in general but I think what once when when Dante Williams called the timeout their second that's when you say okay if you're going right. to call timeouts yes we're going to score but then when Josh Ludd jumped then as you say Brian Kelly said well enough is enough enough is enough yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, there are, USC had plenty of points where they could have scored too, right? Like yes. it, it felt like the the margin felt indicative of the game. I just would have added seven points to both teams. Um, that's the kind of game that I felt like we all watched. Yeah, I you know I I would agree with that, and and certainly the, I mean the play by Tagovailoa Mosa that the, that created the turnover and Bo Bauer, that was a huge swing. I mean, it, it could have been a Notre Dame only kicked a field goal, so I guess it was a, a you know a ten point swing there. But um, yeah, I you know I offensively clearly it was the best performance of the offensive line. I, when I rewatched the game, I thought Kane Madden played his best football by far. I don't think everybody's agreeing with me on that, but that's what I saw. I didn't obviously I didn't focus on every play of his, but the left side of the line really is coming together very quickly, and I think they feel like. Well, can we run left? Can we want run right? Either one's a pretty good alternative right now. Yeah, I think it's a game that I just back to Pete's point and, and the offense as a whole. It was a bunch of successful drives, right? By both teams. Successful, maybe you didn't score. You shouldn't have, or you made an interception if you're USC and a missed field goal by Notre Dame, but they were up and down. It was there was what I think 12, 12 drives or I'm missing, I'm, I'm missing that 13, well, 14 they, drives in the game. And there, I mean, you would figure 10 of them were pretty good drives. Yeah. I mean, each that's, team yeah. only had what seven or eight. Yeah. And that's why, like you look at Notre Dame's total offense numbers, which was um, 383. I think you have to, you have to kind of grade that on a curve just because of the lack of possessions, because as you, as you say, Tim, and this is something that I emphasized after the game and, and certainly in the, in the uh, follow-up stories, I mean, there's a, 13 play 74 yard drive and 11 play 70 yard drive, nine play 75, 13, 80, eight, 75. And yeah. we have, we have, we have not become accustomed to such, no. such drives during the 2021 season. And they're going to have to uh, score touchdowns on those because if you're going to play this way, and I think, I mean, I know is going to play this way. Clearly they, this is what they're, they're moving to, but if you're going to be that type of offense where you're, you're having those drives, boy, you got to cash in, right? I mean, we used to joke that Notre Dame couldn't get in the red zone, but they would score on third and 13 from the 40-yard line. Now they're, if they're going to keep getting down there, you really got to cash in because if you're going to have seven or eight drives, and this was probably low, but if you're going to have eight or nine drives rather than 13, you really got to cash in these next couple of games. Yeah, and, you know, five rushing touchdowns in the last two games, which is more than they yeah. had in the previous five combined, they're, they're just signs of this offensive like normal. line. normal. Yeah, <laughs> Something's I mean, yeah. normal out there. Yeah, They're just signs of this offensive line coming around. And, man, when I watch the TV version of the game, when you give Kyron Williams the ability to just pick and choose where he wants to go, yeah, he's, you know, I, I know there's a lot of talk about Notre Dame couldn't tackle Keontae Ingram. Well, USC could not tackle Kyron Williams no, either. Yeah. It, I mean – Watching rewatching the offense, I, I think I felt better about it um, live than I did sort of combing over the box score. Just sort of like look at the third down conversions that they had. It wasn't wasn't like they were in third and four, third and three all game. I mean, they picked up a third and ten plus. You know, I, I believe there's some third and eights. Um, so they they were great 
situational football on third down um, on Saturday night. And I think that ultimately that's probably what got them over the line is, and it made it feel as comfortable as it did is like they were able to sort of make a significant play when they had to, which I think if you watched it and you think, Oh, they get the, the turnover or, or, you know, they sort of scuttle was it like first and goal after Bo Bowers interception, like, you're expecting seven, you get three. Uh, the first drive, you're expecting seven, you get zero. Um, but in terms of playing the ball between between the twenties, they were uh, they were very very good. Some guys really stepping forward. We mentioned uh, some of the some of the safety play and the defensive back play. And Bracy and Brown, uh, Lorenzo Styles really really liked what we saw from him because he's just so decisive. You know, I mean, he runs his routes precisely. And when he gets a football, he gets his shoulder square and gets upfield yeah. to play up the sideline. Uh, speaking of guys that that stepped up, nice to have Michael Mayer back. But I thought he blocked outstanding in this game. Uh, and they went to him early, and I'm sure USC sealed him off a little bit after that. But uh, Lorenzo Styles and, and Deion Colsey, big time play, really significant play by Colsey because he yeah. was he was rerouted at the at the top of the route, and that ended up. Uh, being a third down conversion and 13 play 80 yard drive. And Brian Kelly said today that the two freshmen are no longer considered guys that just going to uh, bring in to give the starters a blow. They are part of the rotation. And you certainly can see why with the way that Styles and and Colsey on a smaller basis played. Well, that's why I asked him that question. I want to see practice now for Deion Colsey isn't, yeah, I'm in the two deep and I go out there for 10 snaps and I run around and I don't do it. I mean, that was a, diving catch where Cohen looked for the guy and he made the play on third and you got to catch it. I know I'm not saying it's a miraculous catch. You got to catch it, but I didn't expect Deion Colsey to run and make that play. When I, I looked no. down and saw Colsey and never thought he was involved. In and he got roughed up really at the top of the, the yeah. route before he cut over. So that was a, yeah, that was a big time play. And I then feel like they can grow. This is my point, my point of my question. Like you could, you actually can build on what you've done now with those freshmen. They are, they could be more engaged. I don't know their personalities, but they could be more engaged now. Well, and when you consider the inconsistency of Kevin Austin again and and Braden Lindsay, I mean, you you know, maybe you want to shuffle those freshmen in a little bit instead of waiting around for, for upperclassmen before they find some level of consistency. Yeah. Yeah. I think with Styles in particular, it's like you look at I I felt he always in high school when I I went and saw him play. And his tape always reminded me of a more athletic TJ Jones, who just does everything really well. And he doesn't have any like one great, amazing strength other than he doesn't have any weaknesses to his game. And like, mm-hmm. I look at styles and you're sort of thinking over the next three years, and like this guy's going to have 140 catches at Notre Dame. Um, I mean, he's, I think he's going to go down as like a top 10 receiver in terms of receptions and program history just because I think he is so consistent and works so hard at it. Like much like TJ Jones had a dad who played college football and in the NFL. Uh, I, I'm incredibly high on, on Lorenzo Styles yeah. moving forward. I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to jump to that level after one, you know, strong game, but I did love the way, I mean, yeah, you're going to target a guy a lot when he catches the ball and in a heartbeat, he's getting up field. Yeah. Um, the, the play along the sideline exemplified that, but that was not the only one because he had three catches for, for 57 yards. So, um, yeah, that's really encouraging in a time when it's really necessary. I thought, again, in reviewing the film, Notre Dame's defensive line, the defensive ends played great. Uh, all three, uh, three of them, including just Adam Alola. Um, 
And I, I asked Bob Botello today and it sounded like Brian Kelly was, was hinting that uh, they've met and they've determined that he needs to get on the field a little bit more uh, moving forward. Cause those other three guys are logging a lot of snaps. Yeah. There's, he kind of made the point every position coach gets comfortable in a rotation and all of a sudden they're not in there. I think they're, I think people are guilty of that outside the Kelly regime too. You're always like, why can't that guy get on the field? Well, Two guys prove themselves, they're trusted, and they're out there. But Botello can do different things. And I I thought about this when Leofau went down, and we haven't seen it. Can he be in that role where he is one of the blitzing players in the gap like he did against North Carolina last year? Now it's North Carolina this year. <laughs> There's another guy they could add to that mix. And, Tim, I thought I was going to ask the same question you did about Foskey and uh, Justin Adamiel dropped into coverage. I thought Kelly gave you a good answer. Yeah, he talked about. I, I still, I'm. I mean, I, I'm still not exactly visualizing it, but putting those big guys in the middle take away a lot of the activity with the passing game over the middle. Speaking of which, Maris Leofau was so significant uh, oh, this yeah. in this week against North Carolina when he he took away slants. I mean, you still want Foskey coming off the edge because you see how dominant he is. But I can also understand having a big body like that playing forward when, you know, I mean, he's lined up on one side, you run the ball to the other side. He's got a long way to go to chase that down. You can understand why you want an athlete like that in the middle of the field for you. But I'm still of the mindset with most other people that you'd rather see Isaiah Foskey coming off the edge most of the time. And MTA, I thought MTA was really, really good in this game as well. Brian Kelly talked about it'd be nice if he was a little bit longer, but the progress that he's made, from defensive tackle to strong side end is pretty incredible since he hadn't played it at Notre Dame. Yeah. I think there was a question about MTA today and like, you know, finishing sacks and everything. And I, I sort of look at it like I'm fine with everything oh, he's doing right now. Like, too. Cause, completely. Cause yeah. not making a sack means you move the quarterback off a spot and then somebody else cleans it up. Like that's to me, that that's really good production. Even if it's not showing up in a box score, he has both for pro football focus who goes over the top. And for me, who I'm, kind of friendly on the pressure count. He has more pressures for me than, than Foskey does. It just, he doesn't make the play. He doesn't, he doesn't cause yeah. strip sacks and fumbles, which are more important than pressures, yeah, but pressures are very important. And he's there. He's, he's, he's making a lot. And third down, he's making pressure too. That's, yeah, that's he's key. making play. He's making yeah. plays. We can't, you know, the days of just looking at sack totals, uh, yeah. you know, now that, now that pressures and all, and, you know, quarterback hurries, uh, everything's measured. He's playing very effectively. It was real quality defensive end play by Notre Dame on Saturday. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. The Indiana Whiskey Company in South Bend, Indiana delivers great whiskey at honest prices. Founded in 2011 by Notre Dame alumni and military veterans, the company set out to prove that Indiana has everything needed to make a world-class whiskey. The Indiana Whiskey Company has been producing whiskey and only whiskey for eight years running, and they want you to know they're getting pretty good at it. If you are in town for a game, visit the distillery for some pregame cocktails and a bottle of whiskey for your tailgate. For more information, go to ionwhiskey.com. Cheers and go Irish. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from CMU Pens fan. True or false? Kyron Williams is the best back in Notre Dame since Jerome Bettis. I don't know if it's true, but I enjoy watching him as much as I have any back at Notre Dame since Jerome Bettis, and he's a winning football player. So I'm not, I, I don't think I would trade him for other backs, if that makes sense. I don't care how many yards Josh Adams got. 
<laughs> hey, that's it's interesting. I, I put this question out on Twitter yesterday. So I was like, you know, bet your favorite Notre Dame back since. Not, I didn't. I tried to couch it as like favorite, not best. Yeah, yeah. People, people still really like Josh Adams. Um, that got a lot of feedback. Theo Riddick got a little bit. Um, Audrey Denson, mm-hmm. before my time, very popular as a player, it seems. And obviously, you're not going to go beyond Jerome Bettis. But um, man, I to me, Kyron Williams of like the Kelly era is the best. Um, if you had stuck him behind the 2017 yeah. offensive line, I don't know what I don't know what Heisman campaign you would have needed to generate for that, but um, it probably would have lasted a lot longer than 33 trucking. You know, I it was I, I saw your tweet, Pete, and it got me thinking. And I'm like, damn, it's it's real. You said favorite. I looked at it yeah. kind of more like best, and obviously I go way way back, and I won't go all the way back, but. You know, Ellen Pinkett was a great back, yeah. and and certainly Jerome Bettis. I mean, the, the a tremendous NFL back. Autry Denson right. put up numbers. Julius Jones was spectacular. That got a lot of mention too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was spectacular. Darius Walker had a great career for one year. Reggie Brooks. It's he was the best for one year. Yeah, he was I mean, incredible. Eight, eight yard, eight yards of carry. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. But and and Josh Adams too. I mean, and I saw Josh Adams Saturday, by the way. But um. Kyron Williams, my goodness. Uh, you know, I, when you talk about complete back, the ability to block, the ability to run, the ability to catch and, and to lead his yeah. team in the warrior attitude, I, man, it's really hard to pick somebody over him in my lifetime. Yeah, it's that's what I mean by I wouldn't trade. I would take him. Like, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't be like, oh, I have Kyron Williams, but I can trade for this Notre Dame running back. I'm going to do it. It's like, nah, I'm going to roll with my guy. Just let's see how it goes. Yeah, there. Bettis is, I mean, Bettis oh, I mean, is the on. greatest because he's a Hall, yeah, NFL he's a, Hall of Famer. But. Yeah, and Ricky Waters became the next best. He wasn't like that at Notre Dame, but he became the next press pro. Reggie Brooks, Pete, uh, Tim, I'm glad you brought that up because his one year, now he had a great line. He had a 2020, 2017 level line. But he was also out of this planet good uh, with that line. So that's eight, uh, you're, yeah, eight, eight point yards one yards to carry. carry. Yes, <laughs> that is that's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Kyron Williams, uh, you know, total respect for yes. everything, everything about him. I, yeah. You know, I mean, game after game after game, he's hyped <laughs> up and ready to play. I wanted to follow up with Brian Kelly and say, does he practice like that too? Because I don't know where the guy gets the energy he's ready to play every week and he's a great back and unfortunately Notre Dame's only probably good they're only going to get two years of productivity out of him yeah he was hyped up in the post game when he came in to show us the game ball he's yeah. so excited yeah <laughs> no doubt no doubt question from, from go, go ahead Tim. Tim coffee dark roast everyone held their collective breaths in the first quarter when Kyle Hamilton went down would you support him if he decides to shut it down the rest of the year and not play to get ready for the draft, a la Nick Bosa in 2018? I, I, you know, I don't really know what support means exactly. It doesn't matter what we think about that. I, I we live in a we live in an age where that's what athletes do, especially one that's going to be drafted as high as him. And now it, you know, I think as we move forward here, that's going to become more and more of a possibility. But uh, he's got a great future ahead of him. I understand if he makes a makes a decision that that's in his best interest as an individual. I, yeah, I, again, I'm with you, like support. What does that mean? Could I understand it? Heck yeah. I mean, you just look at, I mean, these numbers are sort of hard to get your head around. If he went fifth overall in the draft next year, 
his rookie contract would be valued at $34.6 million. You weigh that against, well, I really wanted to play against Virginia. I mean, it's <laughs> not, that's, that's, this is like real world stuff now. Um, so the, 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 the numbers are too great to just be like, well, you have to come back to play. Like, I, and when Brian Kelly used, what did he, I can't remember how he put it. Like, we're going to essentially collaborate with all parties. Like everyone's going to get a say in it. Like the implication I think of there is pretty strong. You have to, it's not just a medical decision. It's a personal decision. Yeah. So We'll see. I mean, I sure as someone who likes watching elite college football players, I sure as hell hope that I get to see Kyle Hamilton play at Notre Dame again. Um, but I but I would understand if this is a really hard decision that's not as simple as like, hey, your knee's fine. Yeah. And I think in the history of understanding, how could you not understand if Kyle Hamilton is in any day and age has the opportunity to make that money instead of returning for a non playoff run? I'll say it from the other point of view as a Notre Dame fan, if he is deemed healthy to play for Virginia. And Notre Dame is, they'll be nine and one, they'll be eight and one, and number eight in the country after a couple losses or seven in the country. And they say, yeah, your knee's good if you were to shut it down while still the exact same level of understandable. You would feel disappointment as a fan of college football and Notre Dame, right? Sure. I mean, that's right. If you could go and you don't. Now, it's much different being able to go coming back from an injury than just being able to go. It's not like Kyle Hamilton would be rolling through the season, get to Virginia and be like, yep, I'm done. So it's, I would totally, there's a double understanding there. Like he sat out because he was hurt and didn't want to risk it coming back. And I want to, I just want to throw this out. And he played hurt a lot last year and now he has a significant knee injury again. I wonder if that will in any way make yeah, the next level, things. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's gotta be something that's under consideration, but. Um, you know, and it looked, I mean, you look at that and say, okay, he hurt his knee. You don't expect it to be something that, that will keep him out for the rest of the year or be significant enough to keep him out for the rest of the year. But you just wonder, um, and I'm, I'm only pointing that out because 34 million, what'd you say? 34 point 30, 35.7 million or 34.7 yeah. million dollars. It's, it's a lot of money to give to a young man. <laughs> Irish neb wish the good. With the good play of Joe Alt at left tackle, does Blake Fisher take the redshirt year? And going into next season, does Alt slide to right tackle? Blake Fisher is redshirting. Yes, that's, he's not that's, going. He's not going to play yeah, the rest of this year. Uh, just to just to clarify that, I don't think he could help your line. Let's say Notre Dame goes eleven and one and squeezes into the playoffs. Aside from being available, that means the line's playing well. You're not going to put Blake Fisher out there after not playing for three months. Are you kidding? He's not. Aaron Taylor is a senior. He's a guy that's going to be really right. good. It's, but um, yeah, I, I think the part of the question is Joe Alt to right tackle. Sure seems like a good call, right? Yeah, I think Joe Alt could yeah. stay at left tackle if they wanted to, but I think Blake Fisher is probably better equipped for that. And so we have a lot of comments on our message board and questions today about next year's offensive line they just played one re one really good game collectively <laughs> could we yeah, yeah. could we just could we just watch the evolution of this line a little bit i, I meant that fisher would not be cut fisher certainly isn't going to play if they're nine and three but if fisher comes back to 11 and one team i don't think he would make the starting no, offensive line in I a agree. couple of weeks and yeah. no offense irish uh, nebraska but i they just finally played one good game let's see if they can continue to develop and move in the right direction i thought kane madden I thought he played, thought he did a too. lot of good things. I, I, I shouldn't, when we talk about offensive linemen, he played well, he didn't play well, he played really well. 
I should just say I saw him do a lot of good things because I don't know what he did on absolutely every play, but he was productive many of the times that I focused in on him. I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to study that yet. Yeah, I, I, am I agree with you. I, go ahead, Pete. But, I mean, I was just going to say, I, I see much fewer inexplicable plays from the offensive line now, whereas, like, before, there were four or five plays every game. You'd watch them back and be like, what the hell was supposed to happen here? And I don't see that well, happening anymore. And I just, just visually, what we saw in the early games were yeah. five guys move, you know, like, setting up a pocket five guys disjointed and moving around yes watch when you watch this game watch how many times there's that cup shape around cone and he's getting rid of the i realize he's getting rid of the football more quickly so they don't have to hold their blocks as long but they definitely are playing in unison together much better in, in the last two games and much better in this game than virginia tech even tim i think we said during the game not that this is the best way to judge an offensive line but we looked over each other like, Kate Madden's playing well today. Yeah. Like, it was during the game you saw right. him doing things. And I did not watch the first five games, the first four games, I should say, ever, and look out and say, that offensive lineman's doing a heck of a job out there. Yeah. It just and wasn't a thing. There was one play in particular where he engaged with uh, number 47, the defensive tackle, and immediately went to the next level and took on um, uh, number 10, their linebacker. That was what you saw on his Marshall film. You know, when you saw highlights of his Marshall film, that was him engaging, realizing he had help and moving up to the next level. And it's, it's progress. It's progress. I don't want to overplay it, but it is progress for, for the entire group. Two together here, it looks like. Florida Irish, 76. Is Isaiah Foskey playing his way into declaring for the 2022 draft? I love to have him come back, but if he gets in the 12 to 14 sack range, I'd have to imagine he thinks about leaving. And Fighting Irish 8, is it time to admit some summer evaluations by some on the pod were wrong? Foskey is looking like a day one or day two pick. I I mean, I said I was wrong a long, long, long time ago, multiple <laughs> times. Uh, but but we were just, we were, were reporting what we saw, and we were all – we weren't seeing a lot of plays being made. Um, and it was snippets in the spring and then a, a couple practices in the fall. But Isaiah Foskey's played really, really well against USC – uh, and I don't, you know, it's not how many sacks he gets. It's not. It's, but hit, hey, his first sack, did you see, you, you got to oh yeah, see this, yeah. where he is pushing the offensive lineman, the t- left tackle with his left arm, progressing toward the quarterback and then reaching out with his right arm to, to grab Slovis. I mean, you want to talk about the lead play of your highlight tape. There it is. He's using two arms independently, one to shed the blocker, the other to pull the quarterback down. An incredible play. He's playing great. He played great on Saturday anyway. Yeah, it, I would bring up, there's, when I was in the press box at Florida State, uh, somebody came up to me who has access to practice film and said, Isaiah Foskey is going to have an incredible season. I was like, really? Because, you know, every time we talked to Brian Kelly about it, he sort of downplayed it. One of our practices, we hadn't really seen it. And he's like, the practice clips I saw are like out of this world. This guy is going to be a star. I was like, great. Um, that that's what's happening. Like that's the those practice clips. They weren't the one practices we attended, <laughs> but the practices that he really just killed it. Um, that that's what he's done all season. It's been it's been fun to watch. So yeah, I, I think he'll certainly have a decision to make at the end of the year. I, I don't know yeah, yeah. what the decision is going to be, but 
there, there will be a decision to be made. I tell you, what I think the decision is, Pete, go back to that top five and top 10 money because he won't get that at the end of this year, but he will get that at the end of next year. Yeah, that, that is the decision he's going to have. No, is, that's true. It's not about whether he's ready to play. It's about whether he's ready yes. to get the big, big bucks out of the gate. What was the play earlier in the year where I said, that's going to be the, at the highlight of his his or at the front of his highlight tape. I think the play that I just mentioned against USC supersedes that, but I don't remember which one it was. Florida State one that didn't count, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. And he sprinted out there for the ball and it did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Very Tua-esque. No, he's good. Him and MTA played extremely well against you. And Justin Adam and played extremely well. Very, very impactful football against USC. Irish from A2, was USC success in the running game concerning or was it a product of Notre Dame's scheme on defense? Be both, right? Um, I think Notre Dame is going to have to be in that scheme a little bit again against, in a way, against Virginia and North Carolina, not the same scheme where you're obviously, but in that you're allowing some things to happen. So stuff on the back end doesn't happen. Um, so they'll have to tackle better. But it's funny, this is second straight time USC's come in here. We're like, man, tackle that guy. When you're playing this scheme, right? Yeah. <laughs> Almost like they have a bunch of really talented athletes that are hard to tackle, too. <laughs> I, can't, I can't figure it's out what's like, going on here. It's like Keontae Ingram. People are like, where did this guy come from? Mm. Well, he was, I don't know, a four-star prospect <laughs> and a top 100 player who committed to Texas. Like, I like it. Tim, Tim had an answer on Twitter. Someone's like, what's wrong with Notre Dame's run defense? <laughs> you're like, uh, Keontae Ingram's a really hard player to tackle that ran through Notre Dame's tackles. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I mean, what happened I out there. Yeah. Yeah, Canton Ingram's good, and and I mean he came into the game almost averaging six yards a carry, and we and we see why he was he's extremely difficult to tackle. Did Notre Dame tackle poorly? I mean, it's a combination of the the two things. That I, you know, I, I thought they oh, not only tackled a little poorly, but they weren't getting to him very well. I didn't like the run fits, or, the, or they looked slower to me too. It's probably because of everything else that was they were guarding against, but I didn't think they looked that great. Yeah, and I you know defense. I I said going into USC that I thought USC's offensive line was pretty good. They were young at tackle and that was exposed, but I thought that by and large, they, they protected and got some push all year. And it, it, this is, again, I'm not picking on you Irish for me too, but I, this is why we really encourage you to read our stuff uh, as it pertains to the opponent coming in. I, we, we did a thorough evaluation yeah. of, of USC on Monday. I think it was right. because of the buy. And then the, you know, then the preview, we try to point out who the really good players are for the other team. So that when, you know, it's like, oh my God, they can't stop Drake London. Well, <laughs> A, they've got a scheme that, you know, they, they bunch guys on one side and they, you know, he takes a step back and he's got one or two receivers leading the way. You can't prevent those completions. And he's six, five, two, 10. He's really good. <laughs> Tim, this is what, this is actually in Monday Musics today. And the title is "That's What Previews Are Actually For." Pre-game Irish Illustrated commentary by Tim Priester on Drake London. He'll have at least 12 catches and 20 targets. Post-game reality on London: 15 catches, 20 targets, 171 yards, and no touchdowns. The only surprise was that he didn't score. Yeah, and and here's the thing: you know, with all the da- with all the numbers outside of the 44-yarder, his other 14 catches he averaged nine yards per grab, and so you can live with that. Uh, now Josh Downs is going to <laughs> Josh Downs this weekend for North Carolina is a much different player, and is going to you know he's going to get downfield more uh, you know than Jackson did. 
And remember, he was just <laughs> just over eight point something yards per target. Now, Pete, you can live with that, right? You track all the targets and what guys used to give up and everything. Drake London, just over eight point something a target. You let yeah. you make it through that game. Yeah, I just like Brian Kelly's commentary. He wasn't really impacting the game. I'm like, that was all right. Wrong. That was right. Okay, whatever. Um, he just <laughs> all he did was set your entire defensive game plan. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there, that's a different interpretation of the word sure. impact. <laughs> he didn't uh, he didn't wreck our game until that play. No, right, no, he didn't. Said. Yeah, that would that would probably that's, be the better yeah. better way of uh, phrasing it. A Weaver, MD, which recruit visiting this past weekend is most likely to be the next to commit? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's Billy Schroth, and I hope it's yeah. Billy Schroth. I, I can't say enough good things about him. I mentioned that last week. I I think it's him. We really haven't checked with with. Uh, Kevin Sinclair and Tom Loy as to the next guy, but I think Schroth came I mean, in kind of leaning that yeah, way, right? I was going to say the next guy is probably Drake Bowen, um, the uh, junior yeah, linebacker from Andrean, yeah. since he's coming up. Uh, his what his commitment date is November 7th, so we're about a week and a half out from that. That Notre Dame, I it's Notre Dame, Clemson, and Auburn. I He's from an hour away. Uh, I don't, I just don't see any way Notre Dame can't land him. Both of those guys are really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Next from Pitt and Pole. If you need a couple yards in the ground, are you running left or right? Well, I use this because it was something that I addressed in tail of the tape. It's like, you know, you have a six-year senior and a fifth-year senior on the right side, and you have these two new guys on the left side, and it looks to me like Nordane's pretty comfortable running either way, um, and that speaks real highly of – of Alton Christophic and the quick progress that they've made against a certainly not, not a great defensive line. Not one of the better ones really that Notre Dame has faced when you consider the first six opponents, but still, I mean, that uh, I, I think Tommy, remember going to the game, we said Tommy Reese's playbook is wide open. Well, it was, and it should be again this weekend against North Carolina, despite all the defensive depth that Brian Kelly referred to it. North Carolina, they may have death, but they're not stopping people. So they got better and better as that preamble went on today. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think Notre Dame is pretty balanced left and right. And yeah. as long as you're giving the ball to Kyron Williams, I'm not sure it matters which side you're running to. <laughs> I think that's the what makes them effective now is their balance left and right. And if they had to go one way all the time, it would be less effective. It's working out for them. And it, as Tim said, it's been a game and a half. So let's not to borrow from. Winston yeah. Wolf, but yeah, it's been a game and a half. But whatever, Lorenzo Styles is going to be a top ten receiver all time. <laughs> man, he's like TJ Jones, only faster and like Tim Brown, kind of. Okay. Man, I couldn't. I'm hearing Samson stepping out like that after one game. I'm like, you know, here, and I'm the guy that, you know, is is full of hyperbole among other I thought, things. I guess <laughs> Tim thought came Madden blocked like Aaron Taylor this game. He's yeah. all over this one. There. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and then ask that question from Chelnick. Is there anyone on the roster that is? Ready to replace Kane Madden at right guard. No, or he would have, because he's got a giant brace on his elbow and was playing terribly earlier in the year, and they still didn't consider moving him out of there. So, no. No, yeah, not not at this time. Yeah, um, not, not right you, uh, next spring, I think they'll have multiple candidates that, that probably all could be very good and maybe better than Kane Madden. Sure. Uh, no, and he would have played by now if there was somebody, and as, as O'Malley points out, I mean, he, he's he's – the last two games have been a definite uptick. So nobody's better than him. And um, yeah, right. he's, he's, he's finally playing some, 
some real solid football. And, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it may have to do with the injury because I, we looked at him early on. It's like, where's the guy that we saw with Marshall? You don't, you don't figure that he's going to be able to move, you know, Florida state's defense, defensive lineman off the ball, like he did Western Kentucky's, but still you expected more. And he, I think, I thought he played really well. I thought he played really well. Neil Caseburn, how important is it to recruit Bracey and DJ Brown back for another year? Boy, would we, this question wasn't asked last week. <laughs> I, yeah. But Bracey and Brown played their best football. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's important. And I think it's probably pretty easy to recruit both of them back. Don't you? I mean, if Brown continues, if Brown continues on the the pattern or what he, what he showed on Saturday and Bracey, uh, you know, Bracey has been a fifth year candidate all along. I mean, Brown has to beat out nobody, literally nobody to start next year and be the most important member of the safety room. He, that's what DJ Brown has to look forward to. And that's if Houston Griffith comes back for an unforeseen fifth year. DJ Brown is the most important member of the, <laughs> if you guys had video right now, of the safety room. Uh, and Tariq Bracey, uh, Pete, I'll let you handle that one because I think you might have had a question. He's not a starter, so you're probably wondering about that. No, I, I think that he's he is a starter because he's the third corner right. he might still be the third corner next year so that's i mean it's critical this is where recruiting three years ago is catching up with you if you're notre dame um they didn't recruit safety or corner particularly well um you know three four years ago it was kyle hamilton and a bunch of guys who were just okay players and you know so they the fact that they're going to be relying on dj brown next year is like that we can discuss that podcast in a podcast in the future, but um, yeah, they have absolutely got to have both those guys back. I, I was surprised that they did not um, sign a grad transfer at safety this year. I will be shocked. Me too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I will be shocked if they don't sign a grad safety this coming year. You could sign two. You could sign two. Yes. Yeah. You, you really I would, I would, this. I would encourage, I would strongly. I'll take one that. and uh, Xavier Nwangpa. How about that? Yeah, that that would be great. And you know, I, I I keep holding out hope. I guess that Xavier Watts, you could have a couple Xavier starting mm. next year. Um, Xavier Watts, I don't know. I'm just envisioning that that he's going to be a quick study at a position where he was really really good in high school, and he's a guy that can step forward. But still, you know, experienced safeties coming out of the transfer portal. I strongly I think- strongly encourage it. Tim, I wanted to add, because I know we're moving fast here, but I think Brian Kelly has gone out of his way to make sure Xavier Watts stays with the program exactly for those possibilities this coming spring. Um, Not that I know Xavier Watts was going to transfer something, but he was moved out of a wide receiver position that has five scholarship athletes. So that's kind of an indication he wasn't about to start at wide receiver. Um, And Brian Kelly started recruiting Tariq Bracey today when he said in his last, well, it's not his last, his fourth year at Notre Dame. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It was a, Definitely well, he, intentional language on his yes. part there. Yeah. yeah, he was a candidate, you know, and it was interesting today. Everybody will end up seeing the transcript and stuff, but Brian Kelly talking about Tariq Bracey and taking care of his body. And we knew that coming in from um, from Northern California, that nutritionally it was something that he really needed to focus on. And it's still been a battle, but uh, great to see him take a step up. And, you know, he comes in, he's, Post game, we didn't expect to see Tariq Bracey post game three hours earlier. 
Uh, and it's it has been trial and error, and he has had a lot of struggles along the way, but it's a big step. Interesting, I thought that Clarence Lewis replaced Bracy, a, a shell shock Bracy last year at at North Carolina. And now the role is a little bit reversed that Clarence Lewis is a little bit shell shocked and trying to find his footing. Murphy 324, without key injuries or a spate of turnovers, is there a remaining opponent who has enough firepower to take? a 14-point second-half lead on Notre Dame. Yes. Especially uh, now with Hamilton's situation. Yeah, they've already had the key injury. Uh, Virginia has more than enough firepower to do it. I mean, like, Virginia's all over the place, like, but offensively they put up a ton of points. Um, this was – David Hale from ESPN tweeted this out. There are only 62 power five players with 25 catches and 350 receiving yards this season. Virginia has five of them. Ohio state has three. Nobody else has more than two. So they can find matchups and they sling it all over the place. Um, So you could, you could see that being the game. Is there, but you know, could North Carolina do it that not the way North Carolina is playing. Um, Could Stanford do it? Not, not the way Stanford's playing, but Virginia was, Virginia without Hamilton, um, I think Notre Dame may be an underdog in that game, or at least it'd be like maybe they'll be favored by one or two points. Like that, that's going to be a tight one. Pick Virginia to beat Notre Dame in the preseason, and they had Kyle Hamilton, so I'd be a little concerned about going to Virginia now without Kyle Hamilton. Kind of like to see Kyle Hamilton play against that team, make it more of a. That'll be a problem. Their passing offense, Notre Dame will need to score 38 points. Well, today. yeah, and I, I'm not going to rule out North Carolina this weekend because they're 18th right. in the country and scoring at 37 points per game. Virginia's 16th, a tick ahead of them. Uh, and and I just, in you know, you know what Sam Howell can do. I do think that Notre Dame will have just to take a little bit of look ahead to, to North Carolina. I do think Notre Dame's defensive front, defensive line has a really good opportunity to. To do some damage to that offensive line, which O'Malley, I know that you're not real high on that North Carolina oh, offensive gosh. line. Gosh, goodness. Well, because what you, I mean, you all look five at starters the, are back. all five stars <laughs> yeah. are back. You look at Wonderful. you look at career starts, and it's been I, I haven't studied North Carolina yet, but uh, real strongly. But um, you know, Sam Howell steps into some some sacks uh, the same way that Jack Cohn did, and he's running. And Brian Kelly mentioned about Sam Howell running this year. I mean, he has made a concerted effort that. I'm going to be a running threat. I think he's had, I know he's had at least one 100 yard rushing game. So that's a, that's another factor involved there, but the other highest scoring offense remaining Georgia techs at, at 54th at 30, a game, and, you know, Georgia techs playing better and Navy's playing better. All yeah. these teams though, all these Georgia teams Tech's are dumb. De- defensively North Carolina's 91st in the country. Virginia is 73rd. Georgia Tech is actually tied with North Carolina at 91st, giving up 28.9 points per game. Only Tennessee among Power 5 teams has given up more sacks than North Carolina, and they've played an extra game, and that extra game was Alabama this week, so I'm going to guess that contributed to the total. How about Notre Dame's 115th in the country in sacks allowed, 25 through the first four games, and... five through the last three games, or four, yeah. Four, fourth, yeah, it's pretty good. Fourth, okay, so... Making improvement, a lot of which has something to do now with the, the tempo that Notre Dame is running offensively. And we will conclude today's podcast. Looking forward to Thursdays and more on North Carolina with a question from Wash ND. 
he had a big, big introduction and I reduced it to this. What's more likely 11 and one or 10 and two? The, the whole idea being that, okay, now that they've beaten USC and you see what they're doing offensively, you feel better about 11 and one or 10 and two? 10 and two, man. That's, that's an easy call for me right now. Based 100% on Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. Well, I mean, if Hamilton's out, it's 10 and two without blinking. If Hamilton's in, I still think it's 10 and two. Um, I had USC as the fourth hardest of the six games uh, with Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford being ahead of them. Um, and now North Carolina would leapfrog that without Kyle Hamilton. Obviously, uh, with Kyle Hamilton, I would keep it where it was. But without Kyle Hamilton, it's number one or number two, probably. Well, I'm not as definitive on that because of the defenses that Notre Dame is playing and, the, and, and what we think we've seen as a significant uptick offensively for Notre Dame. Uh, you were eleven and one back before the. Well, uh, yeah, but I said Virginia last week because no, I said Drew last Pine week was starting the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I believe I that was last, your reasoning. Yeah, I said last week exactly. Uh, he would give them stability. No, the up tempo gives them stability with Jack Cohn, and I, and uh, and and we've seen that. But I, I you know, I don't know. I, I again, I, I don't. <laughs> Don't pull off ten. Don't pull off eleven one. Yeah, no, I'm not. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> you might I, as well I, watch I, North Carolina. I'm not. I, I'm not. I'll stick with that. Uh, and and you know, life without Kyle Hamilton isn't something that you really want to see. But uh, I also know that Notre Dame's defense without Kyle Hamilton is still better than the defenses that they're about to face. I, I do you believe that? Yeah, but like, it, I, is it better than the offenses they're about to face? I'm not so sure. Um, you know, it's like if I was Virginia and I looked at, oh, no Hamilton. Well, all right, let's. Well, we you certainly, out a way to yeah, you certainly, around. Th- you certainly think that North Carolina and, and Virginia are, would would scheme against that. Although, you know, the first seven opponents were certainly scheming, trying to scheme against the safety opposite Kyle Hamilton as well. Um, and Notre Dame is six and one as a result of that, or after all that. So anyway, we'll be back on Thursday and that is, uh, uh, October 28th. We'll be two days away from Notre Dame versus North Carolina. We appreciate you joining us today for Irish Illustrated Insider.